Well, I, I got to say, I, I really love the Apostle Peter. And uh, spending all week in this man's life, considering what God taught him and how God worked with him and, and different things, um, I feel like I know him more. And I, I was telling Jenny, how cool is it going to be someday to, to, to find him in glory and be like, hey, I got lots of questions. Will you, will you tell me some stories? Let's gather around. Hey, good shepherd, come on in. Peter, we got him for like the next thousand years. Let's hang out, right? I mean, why not? Why not? So for now, we'll settle for um, what we have, which is sufficient for us in these times. But uh, let's get to know this man a little more today. Here is the first part of the first verse of 1 Peter, and it's as far as I got uh, as far as introducing this book. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. We're just going to focus on that today and consider how spectacular and amazing that statement is. As he introduces himself, we should be like, wow, that's amazing that he is an apostle. And uh, then what he writes is unbelievable. It is incredible how Peter writes uh, the refinement of God in this man's life that richly blesses us in the verses of 1 Peter, we will see how that was forged. It was forged by grace, forged by grace. So the Apostle Peter, a couple of things as we consider him, uh, he is uh, the leader of the apostles. Every single list of the apostles has Peter at the first. They all agree. It's, it's, it, it's consistent. Now, the, the, the rest of the apostles don't share the same order in those different lists, but Peter is always first, and he is the identified leader of the apostles. Um, he is a fisherman turned fisher of men. And uh, that was the work of Jesus. He wrote the book of First Peter from Rome, which is significant for us to realize. And he wrote it just before the outbreak of what they call the Neronian persecution. Uh, Nero burned Rome. I'll tell you more about it next week. He, he basically let Rome burn. And uh, then he blamed Christians. And it was violent, the, the effect that had on uh, believers, both in that part of the world and, and then reaching into uh, the Roman world uh, far from there. So more about the book and the audience and the setting and all of those things next week. We'll look at the theme and those things. But let's start with Peter so that as we hear these verses, we have these, these moments echoing in our mind that shaped him. I'm calling this key moments in Peter's life, mile markers, as it were, significant shaper moments that Peter experienced. We'll start with a day that Peter, I'm sure, never forgot, the day that he was chosen and called, called to be a a follower of Rabbi Jesus. Listen to how it went down. Well, first, let me give you the, the context. Actually, this is really cool. This is a drone shot from Dr. John, our Israel tour leader. And this is Capernaum, uh, where ancient Capernaum was, uh, Sea of Galilee, so North Shore, okay? That's where the the apostles, uh, four of them, were from. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they were all fishermen. And right here is the synagogue where they would worship. And then right out over here, under this new uh, Catholic building, is Peter's house, where they believe that the apostle Peter lived. And... uh, You can determine that because when Jesus came out to heal Peter's mother-in-law, yes, he was married, he had a wife, and he brought her along in his ministry. His mother-in-law was very sick at one point, and Jesus healed her, and you can follow the kind of the footsteps of the text, 
and see that the house was right outside the synagogue. And so just picture, this is, this is where Peter grew up, lived, made, made a living catching fish here on this gigantic lake. Okay? So with that in view, listen to how this goes down. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, that should be a capital he, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look at the response. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, we don't have a lot of detail about how it was going, uh, but they're, they're probably trying to fix holes in their nets, what you know, fishermen do, trying to keep things uh, patched up and shored up. They had a, 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 a hard-working, successful enterprise of, of fishing on the lake there, and they left it all. They, they just walked away, dropped their nets, and followed Jesus. The significant moment here is that you've got to understand every Jewish boy, okay, you, you young guys, listen. If you're a young Jewish boy, those are the words that you've wanted to hear your whole life. Your whole life. And so you study. You study every day. You memorize the Bible. You're growing and you want to understand the Word of God. You're studying and studying. And your greatest goal as you sit under your teacher is to hear him say to you, follow me, follow me, and I will teach you my yoke. I will teach you to, to carry my teaching. And uh, most often, this would be the, 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 the phrase that, that, that young boys would fear the most. You've worked hard, you've done a good job, but now it's time for you to go and learn your father's trade, right? So in a sense, you've got to hear this, every Jewish boy wants to be the recipient of those words, follow me. They want to be a follower of the rabbi. They want to be someday, if possible, a teacher, a, a, a rabbi themselves. Peter, Andrew, James, John, they had all heard the words, go, learn your father's trade. You've studied, you've done well, but you didn't make the cut. And so when it says that they were uneducated, that's what it means. That they are not leaders of the Jewish community. They are not teachers of the law. They are not in any role or position of influence when it comes to the Word of God and, and following the Lord in that way. So they were faithful Jews and they loved the Lord, but they had been given the task to go and fish. And so they were working hard at that. When out of the blue, they hear the call from Jesus, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They dropped everything, as probably every Jewish boy would. Are you kidding me? This is a rabbi. This is Jesus. This, I'm in. Let's go. And so they went and followed Jesus. Peter's life would never be the same. That was a a, a, a day of significance that he would never forget. Follow me. The second scene here is I'm titling Faith and Fear. So chosen and called. God chose them. Jesus called them. And they followed. Now faith and fear. This is, this is a, a, a scene that we often remember. And uh, listen to how it goes down. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. So just a little into the ministry Jesus has just fed the 5,000 up on the hill, and uh, uh, the, the, the crowds are being dismissed. He says to the disciples, get in the boat and go across, which was really not too far to go. They all get into the boat, and Jesus is going to meet them later. They head out, 
a while, Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray alone. When evening came, he was there alone, Jesus was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So picture the scene. The disciples are all in the boat. You think they're getting along at this point? We imagine Peter, the fisherman, and, and, and his three sidekicks, and then, I mean, you've got Matthew, the tax collector in there, dead weight, right? He's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I in a boat, right? And the zealot, he's like trying to use his sword or something to paddle, like, right? So the, they're probably a little bit wound up at this point, and they're not getting anywhere. Where does the wind come from in the storm? It's, this is all ordained. This is all ordained. They're stuck, they're struggling, they're on their own. In the fourth watch of the night, this is not what they had planned, but they're out there in the middle of the night and they are stuck and they can't get home. He came to them. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. Okay? Not what you would expect. Something none of them had ever seen. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke, again, he speaks to them over the wind and the waves. His voice comes to them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Oh, friends, how often do we need those words from our Savior? Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Stop focusing on the wind and waves. Look at me, lock eyes with me. Now, before we kind of you know, say, Peter, oh, come on, Peter, what do you think? Peter's the only one to respond. Peter is a leader. He's a leader. And this is the only one to speak at this point. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That is bold. That's Peter. My man. Yes, that's good. He said, come, come. And maybe Peter all of a sudden was like, oh, wait. <laughs> you mean you said, yet, you said yes to that? So Peter steps out of the boat and walks on the water and comes to Jesus. Now, I told Jenny when we rode on the fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee that I wanted to try this. And she would not let me jump out of that boat. The problem is the boat was so tall that I would have landed and crashed hard on the water when it supported me and probably would have hurt myself. Most likely I would have splashed in and drowned, but I didn't get a chance to try this. Peter steps out of the boat and it is it's solid. And he starts to walk on the water through the wind and the waves. He's locked eyes with Jesus and he comes all the way to Jesus. That's a moment he never forgot. You don't lose sight of that. Like the, it, sure, the story ends with a kind of a, it fizzles, right? But, but this is a moment. He walks on the water. But, oh, how often we've been here too. When he saw the wind and he was afraid, be, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Hmm. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. 
What a moment. He would have never forgotten that. Every day, I imagine, that moment echoed. Whenever he was tempted to look to the wind and the waves, the words of Jesus, trust me, focus on me. We have a faith that has a focus. It's the grace of faith, right? The grace of faith. That's a phrase maybe if you don't know that, write that down. The grace of faith. It is an unmerited gift. God gives the very faith that we employ. He blesses us with the faith to focus on Christ and fight against fear. The best way to do that is to lock eyes with Jesus. In the storms of life, whatever we face, there is a focus of our faith. The next scene is what I'm calling the magnificent confession. The magnificent confession. This oftentimes is what people think of when they think of the Apostle Peter in a, in a positive light, right? This exchange. When Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, a very godless pagan place. We got to visit there and, and uh, the, the just horrible pagan worship and temples and sacrifices and, and animal just cruelty everywhere. Jesus takes his disciples to a place that no rabbi would ever dream of taking their disciples. And he goes there and then this exchange takes place. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they say, well, some of the people are saying that you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns and locks eyes. You could just picture this with those eyes. Who do you say that I am? Who's first to speak again? Who's the leader here? Who's bold? Who's got the courage to just give it a shot? Peter replies, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's right. That's exactly right. All these other options, no, they're wrong. What Peter says is right. And then listen to Jesus' response. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You couldn't muster this up within yourself. This isn't something you could figure out on your own. This is a gift from my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. In the Greek now, there's a play on words that Jesus uses. It's awesome. I love this. Petros is the word for Peter, the name, right? And on this Petra, on this rock, I will build my church, okay? You are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I think when he said that, he points to the cave of, of horrors and idolatry and paganism, right? This is powerless over the rock of this confession. So, when people say that Peter is the rock of the church, it is incorrect. He is not the rock of the church. That's not what Jesus said here. It is his confession that is the rock of the church. Yes, Peter was a leader. Absolutely so. He was wonderfully faithful and, and helpful in all of those things. But the rock that Jesus points out is not Peter. It's what he said. The confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the rock of every age for all believers to stand upon. That is where we stand, and there is absolutely no idolatry, no pagan, no evil, no, no attack from the outside, no Satan, no, no enemy that will ever prevail against that. 
the confession of Christ as Lord and Savior. Next scene, glimpses of glory. You've got to think. I mean, just think of all the memories Peter has. These interactions that would be life moments for us, never forgotten. Glimpses of glory. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. That's the inner three. All fishermen, right? I, I kind of wonder why Andrew got left out. He was the fourth of the, of the crew up there at Capernaum. But Jesus chose Peter, the leader, and then the sons of thunder, James and John. John, who wrote the, the Gospel of John and all these other books that we're um, referencing recently here. And he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was, that is, Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, this is a, a, a word of, of, of awe and shock. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. Now, I've always wondered, how did they know who that was? They knew. They, they knew. That's Moses. They'd never seen Moses. They'd never seen it, but it was clear to them. This is Moses. This is Elijah. And they are having a powwow on the top of the mountain. Jesus is conversing with the law and the prophets. Moses, all of the law. Elijah, all of the... He's, he's the fulfillment of both. It's all about Jesus. What a display of glory. Now, how does Peter respond in this moment? Oh, man, I, I get it. Like, I, what do you do? What do you say? Well, okay, like, uh, um, here goes Peter. He's going to talk. Right? He's going to talk. So Peter says, Lord, they're chatting. Right? They're having a conversation. Hey, guys, mind if I interrupt? I got an idea. Here's the thing. If you wish, I can make three tents. One for you and, and, and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And, and then, you know, if it rains, you know, I don't know. Place, a shelter. We could, we could put up some altars. And, and you know, I, you could just hear him just going on here. He was still speaking. Don't miss it. This is so purposeful. He was still yapping. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, it interrupted Peter. Okay? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then key words for Peter. Listen to him. Listen to him. Can you imagine with human ears what it would be like to hear the thundering voice of the Almighty God, the Father, speak this blessing, this confirmation, this witness of His Son, and then to hear His command to these three, shut your mouth and listen, listen to Him. How did they respond? Well, they, they heard this. They fell on their faces and were terrified, which is probably the right response in this situation. Jesus came, look at our Savior. Look at, look at his love in this act. Look at this, this gift we have in Christ. He comes not to judge, not to kick, right? But with a touch. And he came and touched them and he said, rise, have no fear. Have no fear. And when he had lifted up their eyes, oh, friend, hear the love of our Savior in this. When he had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. 
What a glimpse that was of the glory of Almighty God and the fulfillment of all of the study that they had poured in to the Old Testament. All of the law, all of the prophets, it's all about Jesus. What a moment that was. The glory of Christ, Son of the living God, they got to glimpse it there. Think of Moses longing for that glimpse of his glory. Lord, show me your glory. Peter, James, and John had a similar experience. They got to see a glimpse of the glory of Christ. Not by force. Here's another moment that Peter, I'm sure, would never forget. Not by force. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went with lanterns and torches. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was. You remember this now? Jesus had the disciples. Judas has already left to betray him. And then he took Peter, James, and John, went on up, up beyond there, and he says, watch and pray. Right? Pray for me. Pray with me. Stay on guard. Be alert. And Jesus is sweating blood, and they fall asleep over and over. And then here comes Judas. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, don't miss this, I am. That's what he said. Ego me. I am. <laughs> oh, if I could witness this happening. I am he. Judas, who betrayed, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. They, that is, the whole entourage, the big scary guys with the torches and the swords and the armor, they're like, what was that? What just happened? Why am I on the ground? God just spoke to you, that's what. The son of the living God. It doesn't stop there, though. He asked them again, <laughs> whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he. So, if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fill, again, Jesus constantly finding prophetic words that needed to be fulfilled. And so this is one of his goals this night. It obviously would be accomplished. To fulfill the word the Lord has spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter. Okay, now here we go. Simon Peter, right? Having a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servants and cut off his ear. So, do you think he was aiming for the ear? Okay, this is a swing and a miss, almost a total miss, but no, he was aiming for his head. Peter is like, okay, I guess this is the moment it goes down. Like, Jesus is about to go warrior mode. I'll just get this thing started. Out comes the sword from under his cloak, short sword, right? And he swings to chop the head off this guy and start it. Someone has to, right? Might as well be me. Well, the, the servant catches the glimmer of the blade in the moonlight and turns his head like this, and Peter's blade goes straight through his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I think it's significant his name is in the book. I believe he is likely going to be with us forever. I think that moment, that night, was a moment he was changed forever as well. We know that Jesus took the ear and put it back on and healed that man instantly like that. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. 
Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? This was a rebuke. It was a rebuke. It was not all that different from the rebuke that Peter had received just earlier, uh, referring to the cup of suffering. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? That is the cup of suffering. This is the ordained plan of the Father that I am working out. Don't prevent me from this cup. Goes back to this interaction. He began to teach this Jesus, teaching the disciples about how the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. He's saying this plainly. And after three days rise, Peter took him aside. He took Jesus aside. And he began to rebuke God. Okay. <laughs> Boldness, check. Wisdom, eh, probably not. Love, absolutely. Heart, oh, you know his heart. It's just right out there on his sleeve. He's just, oh, no way, Lord. That's not going to happen. Turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, this is a moment Peter probably remembered as well. It's the strongest rebuke Jesus ever gave to any of his disciples. Get behind me, Satan! For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will, will save it. This is a reference to the cup of suffering. Obviously, the primary cup of suffering was the one that Jesus took on the cross. But friends, there is a cup of suffering for all believers. Persecution and perseverance, obedience, faithfulness, trust. This cup is the cup that is ordained. It is the cup that we drink, and after drinking it comes exaltation. But first, suffering. Jesus suffered more than any human being has ever suffered. And his is the highest exaltation of all. Now the rooster and the Savior, same night, just a few hours later, they had this exchange that Jesus predicted this, the rooster and the Savior. What an amazing moment. Again, shaping grace. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's so much happening in that statement right there. Number one, God is praying for Peter. The son prays to the father for his protection from Satan himself, who has set his heart on destroying Peter. And he says, when you have turned again, which is a, a very hope-filled call, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He's grabbing his sword and saber rattling. I, I am all in. You can't even come up with a scenario where I would ever do anything but come and die with you. You just... Let's get it going. Come on. And oh, how easy it is to say words like that. The same night, Jesus said, I tell you, the rooster will crow. 
the rooster will, will, will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me, <laughs> let alone that you're willing to die. You're, gonna, you're not even going to be willing to admit that you even know me before the morning rooster crows three times over. They seized Jesus and led him away, brought him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Now, again, no one else was. They fled. They left. They're gone. At least Peter here is trailing, right? He already chopped the guy's ear off. He's already a target. I mean, obviously, he's putting himself at risk, but he's, he's, he doesn't know what to do. Like, okay, if we're not using swords, and, and, and you know, what do I do? So he's following bringing him to the high priest's house. Uh, when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. We got to visit where uh, they believed this took place. And uh, now there's a church there. And on top of this church is a rooster. They, they, they call it a church that's dedicated to human failure and the grace of God. Okay, Think of that place, that moment, that night. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl. Think of how this begins, right? A servant girl said to him, this man was also with him. Immediately he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are, with, are, are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. There's two. After an interval of about an hour, another insisted, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. They said it was his accent that was betraying him as he spoke. He was trying to blend in, but it was clear he was from Galilee. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. It even says in another gospel that there was a curse that he included there to try to hide and cover. Immediately, here again, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. He heard it loud and clear. Now that, that rooster was ordained by God sovereignly placed, and who can make a rooster crow in the exact moment? God. That rooster crowed, and there was a line of sight in this moment that Luke tells us from Jesus in his place of holding to where Peter was by the fire. The Lord turned and looked at Peter in that moment. Oh, man devastation the heartbreak and Peter remembered the saying of how he said to him before the rooster crows today you will deny me three times and he went out and wept bitterly it's one of Peter's greatest defeats his worst moments imagine what that would have been like he wasn't there at the crucifixion then Saturday, silence. He ran foot race to an empty tomb, but he got there and, and John beat him, as John points out. Peter runs right in. Where is he? Where is he? And then glimmers of hope and then appearance of Christ, right? So we go from there. Just say this. Peter was a man who was refined through failure. And God can do that in our lives as well. Now humbled by grace, what a moment this was. After Jesus had risen and appeared to hundreds and hundreds, he sent the disciples to Galilee and he said, wait for me, I'm going to be up there. Just go up there and wait. And so they, 
They go fishing. They go fishing. They, they fish all night. They catch nothing. And then Jesus uh, shows up next to the lake, and he's like, hey, you guys catch anything? They don't, they don't know at this point that it's Jesus. They're like, no, thanks for pointing it out. Right? No, we didn't. He said, throw your nets on the other side. So they did, and all of a sudden, 153 fish, like a massive cash inflow of, of fish in the nets. And John looks at Peter and says, it's the Lord. So when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Here's Peter at his best, right? He's like, I'm going to put on my clothes and jump in the water. <laughs> and then he's struggling to swim for shore. He gets to the shore. The other disciples came in in the boat, dragging a net full of fish. They were not far off from land, about 100 yards off. When they got out uh, on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish. Note this. Already laid out on it. Okay, the, he, Jesus doesn't need their fish. He's got, his, he's got his fish. He can provide. He's already cooking the fish. This was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus turned to Simon Peter and he said, Simon, son of John, that's Peter's dad, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? Well, it's the fish. It's the nets. It's the boats. It's the life that Peter could have if he chose the path of ease, the path of self, the path of, of live for this world, build an earthly kingdom. You could do that, but do you love me more than these, Peter? The word love that Jesus used was the word agape there. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Be a shepherd, not a fisherman. The second time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter would have been struck. Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, right? He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you see what's going on here? Three denials. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, I know, I get it, I, I, I see what you're doing. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three denials, three questions, three affirmations of love. This is, this is Jesus, his Savior, saying, there's still a place for you, but you've got to love me above all else. And that, that repeated affirmation of love, over, it's the grace in view, overwhelmed those denials. Three calls to shepherd. Shepherd the sheep. Tend the flock. Be who I appointed you to be. And then he goes on and he says, Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Now that is most likely a reference to crucifixion. You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That is, they will dress you for death. They will take you against your will. John adds the note here, this is to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, here's the words, follow me. Even to death, follow me. This is the plan. And Peter says, by his response, 
and his life, okay, I'll do it. And actually, we know at the end of his life, according to church tradition, he refused to be crucified upright. He, he said, I, I, I'm not worthy to be slain in the same way of my Savior. And so they crucified him upside down. And he was martyred in Rome under Nero. Wind, fire, and boldness. Quickly, I want to move through this just to show the change, the power of the Holy Spirit that lands at Pentecost, the preaching, the sermon, the boldness that comes. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to the very people that, that murdered Jesus, okay, this is the same group, Peter goes right at them. Rulers of the people, elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, they healed this man. By what uh, means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, the, the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, he says, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That's boldness. That's, that's like... I am not holding back. I am no longer timid and afraid. I will not deny anymore. I am all in and I'm bringing the message anywhere and everywhere the Lord leads me. There is salvation, Peter says, in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, just common fishermen, they were astonished. And the only conclusion they could draw is that these men had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Another testimony to his power. Spirit-empowered courage in preaching. Now let's close with this one, supernatural prison break. There are many other examples we could see of, of Peter's life and, and, and things that he experienced. This is one that I'm sure he never forgot. About the time uh, Herod the king, that's Agrippa, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, he killed James, the brother of John with a sword. James was the local church leader in Jerusalem, and Herod killed him. And then when he saw that it pleased the Jews, same people who hated Jesus, now the, those who carry his name, they hate them, he also arrested Peter. Peter was being held during the days of unleavened bread. Uh, they seized him and put him in prison uh, delivering over him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. That is to kill him. That's the plan. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was, uh, for him was made to God by the church. The believers are gathered and praying. All night long they pray as they are gathered. When Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. So he's tied up to soldiers. He's being guarded, like heavily guarded here. The sentries before the door were, were guarding the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, which may have been a kick, you know? It's like he struck him. He didn't touch him. He's like, hey, wake up, you know? And when he did... Uh, he said, get up quickly. The chains fell off his hands. And the angel said, dress yourself and put on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. This is an angelic jailbreak. That's what's going on here. He went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was having a dream. It was a vision. 
when they passed through the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. God opened the gate. And they went out along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Peter found himself free. So he goes to the house, knocks on the door, and he's like, hey, it's Peter. Let me in. The servant girl's like, uh, really? And so she's like, she tells him, they're like, oh, you're crazy. That's not Peter. We're praying that he's in jail. He keeps knocking. Hey, guys, let me in. You know. Sure enough, they let him in. He leaves Jerusalem then and heads for Rome. And that's where he would ultimately die as a martyr of Christ. Persecution and perseverance, that is going to be a theme through the book of 1 Peter and perfectly timed book for the believers who received it, friends. Perfectly timed for us as well in our day as we head into the dark increasingly. So just a few things by way of response today. I just want you to stop and ask the question, what do we learn about God in the way that he takes this man, Peter, and changes him to become such a leader in the church. Peter was forged by grace. And when I say forged, I mean it, it was a fire, right? There were moments of intense challenge and failure. But God was at work forging him by grace, unmerited favor, love, faithfulness, patience. You could say it this way, God loves to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. God could have taken the most impressive religious leader of the day, but instead he took a, a, a bunch of fishermen who had failed to pass the test, uneducated common guys, and he turned the world upside down through them as they carried the name of Christ. He still loves to do that. He loves to do things in unexpected ways. And he is at work in your life, Christian. Don't ever doubt what God might do in you and through you. Number two, passion is good, but it needs wisdom and instruction. Just blind passion. We've learned from Peter. It, it needs shaping. It needs wisdom. It needs sometimes to be reined back. and Sometimes it just needs to be quiet and listen. Peter is a good example for us in this. God is so faithful and patient in the way he worked with Peter. Number three, God delights to show his strength in our weakness. Oh, how Paul boasts in this, right? Paul learned this as well. When I am weak, then I am strong. Don't be timid because you are weak in an area or, or, or another. God is strong. Lean upon him. And number four, God can use our failures to patiently teach us how to humbly rely upon Him. This is such an important lesson to learn. Sometimes people carry the darkest days of their life, just terrible mistakes, dumb decisions, bad choices, whatever it may be, and it just haunts people. And it keeps them from being bold, from courageously obeying the Lord and running out to serve and, and whatever it may be. Don't allow that to be the case. Note this, God has a way of taking your worst days and leveraging them as strength in the work of the kingdom. These are good lessons for us to learn, and we're going to see more of this as it unfolds as we move through these verses. Let's pray. 
Father, we give praise to you for the Apostle Peter. Thank you for these glimpses of glory that we have experienced here. We, we thank you for the work that you did in Peter's life. And thank you for the man that you made him to be. We thank you for grace. Oh God, where would we be without your grace? We delight in you, Jesus, our Savior. We delight in your love, your work, your lordship and rule and reign over our lives today. We make much of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.